Hey, 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 Will. What's going on? Welcome to my town. <laughs> this is your town. This, this, what did they call Empire? Empire State, State of Mind? State. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that Alicia Keys song? I think I... Yeah. I, I, yeah. I love New York City. Right on. I flew in. I'm only here for today's episode. Yeah. Uh, so I got here from Pittsburgh, flew in, and uh, first thing I did was I went to a uh, infrared sauna studio and sweat for a half an hour. Nice. Did you go to, um, what is it, high, higher dose? Yeah, higher dose. How was it? It was fun. It was yeah. really good, and they have a different light therapy. Is what do you think of the? the was, is it called the jewel? The or is no? The jewel is the yeah. cigarette. <laughs> cigarette. No, what's what's the what's the red light? Ju- ju- juve light. Juve. Yeah. Yeah. I always get those two confused. <laughs> same. Basic. Same. Basically the same thing. Yeah. Okay. A light for your lungs and a light for your body. <laughs> one we're advocating. One we're not. Right. Okay. Which one is the one we like? A juve light. Juve. Okay. Yeah. So that's good too. Like red light therapy. Mm-hmm. I like infrared saunas. They're my thing. So I. I, uh, I we don't have like full on studios like you guys have in uh-huh. New York and Pittsburgh. So. I uh, thought I'd give it give it a try. Do you have one at home? I do. Yeah, yeah. I have a sunlight. And- oh, nice! My brother has a has an infrared sauna. Um, the first time I, I did it was with um, Frank Lipman at his house, and um, I was like, Frank, this doesn't get any hotter. It doesn't get any hot. This isn't that hot because I grew up going mm-hmm. having saunas, and my my uncle has an amazing sauna in Vermont. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. It doesn't get. Any-. And then I stood up and I looked at like the pool of sweat, <laughs> and I basically had lost probably 25 percent of my body weight in, in yeah. one. Well, not that much, but um, I'm prone to hyperbole if you haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I sweat a lot. And I think that's one of the advantages mm-hmm. of an infrared sauna. Yeah. Right? What What did you? Yeah, of course. What did you do today? Uh, today, so I just got in from Los Angeles. And uh, I had to do a bunch of work, and then I'm going upstate after this, so I've got to drive upstate. So I I was working, jumped in the car, and drove into the city, which is an exercise in patience, driving yeah. a car in New York so City in the middle of the day. If it could be a t- chance to uh, practice non-resistance. Oh, man, like, it's a chance to practice a lot of things, but uh, I tend to practice screaming at people. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to, but man, it's really hard not to lose your temper in New York traffic. <laughs> yeah. So our, today's guest is pretty epic. Yes. You know, speaking of Juul, not Juve, but the the uh, the Juul uh, vaporizer or whatever it's called, we talk a little bit about that. Um, but we were super, super honored to sit down with uh, a guy by the name of Mr. Michael Stipe. I'm not sure if that name sounds familiar to those of you out there in uh, podcast land, but he is the former lead singer of R.E.M., also known as one of the greatest bands of all time. Um, and we've been huge fans of, of R.E.M. and of Michael for, I mean, forever, basically. And he signed my book today. He's, he brought us both copies of his, um, of his book that came out. He's got a new book coming out, a book of photography. But one of the things we talked a lot about was creativity, which was cool because he's... While he is a singer and a songwriter, um, it would be doing him a disservice to pigeonhole him into mm. just being that. You know, he's been a filmmaker and an actor and a photographer and an artist in many mediums. Yeah. But we talk about a lot of great stuff. I think it was such a open, candid interview. And we talked about such cool, eclectic things. It's not a typical you know, musician interview. I'm excited for people to hear it. Yeah, I mean, Michael's really just a a lovely human being and uh, a very driven, um, highly intelligent, highly articulate uh, person, really special. And I, I mean, I feel very lucky to have him in my life. I think we're really lucky to have him in, in, in the studio. So we, we, you know, we talk a lot about transformation on this. And it's funny, when, when I was coming in here, I was thinking about this idea of transformation and realized that maybe that's 
kind of not necessarily the best term to use because when we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to always becoming something different than who we are, that we should be conforming to something else. But really, maybe we should be thinking more about peeling away and getting at the essence of who we are really meant to be as this unique snowflake. Well, let's just jump right in, Shane. Yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> Why not? Okay. So you, I'm one of the more you, unique snowflakes you, out you there. You are a unique snowflake. You're an I'm incredible, proud snowflake. incredibly creative person. I, I'm curious to know, though, how if you were always a creative person, because you're an army brat, yeah. which doesn't strike me as being the environment to grow up in creativity. No, it was actually awesome. My, my parents are uh, have always been incredibly supportive of whatever my sisters and I wanted to do or wanted uh -huh. to become or whatever we wanted to reach for. And so I had that like that loving, uh, supportive kind of family um, vibe and energy to, to push me forward in whatever uh, absurd or fantastic uh, venture I wanted to, to go on. Mm -hmm. uh, the one that I chose, of course, as a teenager was pretty absurd and pretty fantastic. And who would ever imagine that yeah. it would actually work out? Did you think that that was literally going to be, or were you just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint pictures and I'm going to do this and oh, why not make music too? The music came second to photography, and I actually brought you guys some books. I, I don't oh, think, cool. I don't think yes. I, right. um, my last book came out last year, and I've just uh -huh. come from Bologna mm -hmm. uh, working on my second book, which comes out so this fall. So that's what Damiani is, the second? That's Damiani, yeah. yeah. That's the publishing. But uh, yeah, no, I came from, you know, I, I, I was 15 when I discovered music. Uh, it was through Patti Smith's Horses, mm -hmm. the first album that she released. On the day that it came out, I bought it, sat up all night listening to it, and uh -huh. that morning before I went to school, I said, that's what I'm going to do. And so I set out on this fantastic um, adventure and mm -hmm. it actually worked out it's great and you didn't and along the way you didn't you didn't abandon the other other creative endeavors that you'd been on because you know, obviously photography's come back to you and, and film and acting yeah i kind of can't i mean i'm uh, i'm a i'm a terrible painter i i don't like my line so even my signature for me is, is abhorrent uh, -huh. uh much less drawings uh, or doodles but um but I, I, I do love taking pictures, and, and I, I use pho photography as, as kind of a, as, as my diary because I mm -hmm. don't write, mm -hmm. um, except for pop lyrics. I don't mm -hmm. I don't write anything down um, mm. except my schedule, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and you're on it for today. So here we go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so music, photography, like yeah. two loves of your life. Do does photography do something that music doesn't for you? Oh, that's a good question. Well, music for me, uh, music. Hits. I'm not um, synesthetic, but I'm, I'm somewhere mm -hmm. around there. Um, when I hear music that, that moves me, uh, I see a landscape. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't even have to close my eyes, but it's easier when I close my eyes. Yeah. Uh, and so as a writer uh, to, to music, you know, I, with, with, with my former band, R.E.M., uh, they would provide me with, with songs, um, maybe give me a few ideas for her melodies. But for the most part, I, I, I had these landscapes that my job was to to create a narrative and a, a, a vocal melody or something uh, vocal that would kind of push through and improve that landscape mm -hmm. and and people it with 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 a story or, or with with an idea or with an emotion a feeling so photography and music are quite overlapping or related mm -hmm. in, in my mind the way the way i process stuff I had a, um, actually, it's a part of the song, um, It's the End of the World as We Know mm -hmm. It and I Feel Fine, it has this moment where I'm repeating names that start with the letter LB. Mm -hmm. And that's from a dream that I had. Mm -hmm. And there's a point here, I'll get to it. In the dream, I had, I, I, I think it was after, um, uh, after I'd come to New York for the first time at the age of 19, New York became the city of my rebirth. Uh, I, I realized this is where I can become who I think I should be. Mm -hmm. And so New York has always been that for me. 
uh, even today. It's it's dire times. It's pretty grim right now, mm-hmm. but but um but I, I remain steadfast in my love of this city. The LB dream came, and I was at a party where everyone's initials started with LB, mm-hmm. and so there was Lester Bangs, there was Leonard Brezhnev, there was um, uh, uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, there was. Um, uh, Louise Bourgeois. Um, <laughs> there, there was like seventy people. I, I, I think I wrote them down. Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein was there, and um, and but I was the only, I, I was insecure at the party because mm-hmm. my initials don't start with LB. But <laughs> all that to say, it came, it, it came, it came out in that, that lyric a, a few years later, um, and it, but it made me think like why my brain. I, I realized that there are people who actually they process things through the first initial of words or through the number of syllables of words. Or through the sound of the word, mm-hmm. and I'm I am that. I'm as I said, I'm not synesthetic. I'm also mm-hmm. not on. I'm nowhere on the spectrum, but um, I may as well be <laughs> in a way. I'm just, I I process things differently. Right. And, uh, my band always told me that. My former band always told me that I I I start singing at the wrong time, and that's part of what made REM such a kind of particular or peculiar uh, group. Is that w- w- we were all we were all doing things wrong. Um, and the way that I approached what they gave me to sing to was usually not what they would have expected or what would be typical. Hmm. Well, that nonconformity, I think, is what often leads to really groundbreaking experience. But it's not intentional. Yeah, it's just that's it's kind expression. Of, that's a, it's a fabric of what it's. It's who I am, and it's how I hear yeah. things. So when I worked with Casey Spooner from the band Fisher mm-hmm. Spooner, I, I wound up co-writing and producing their last album, uh-huh. um, and that was my kind of my reintroduction to music after mm-hmm. REM disbanded. I realized the way he hears music and the way he responds to it uh, with a vocal or with a lyric idea is completely different to mine. Yeah. And there are there are terms. I think uh, people that work on, uh, like in musical theater, could probably tell you that, that I'm this and he's that. But mm-hmm. I don't know what those terms are. Mm. It's funny when I was I I never thought of um, you know I remember Fisher Spooner when they sort of started recording mm. music I, mean, I don't know maybe twenty years ago yeah nineteen years ago Emerge was the yeah big Emerge yeah, yeah that was a big and maybe I think it was in the early two thousands um, and going back and re listening to that a couple of days ago. I actually heard a lot of REM in it too. I feel that in a weird way, there's a lot of the same lyrical sounds. I'm very flattered. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was his first boyfriend when he was a teenager, uh, so uh, okay. there might sense. be there might be a bit of. I mean, he did study. You know, we were together for about a year. He was 18. I was 28 uh-huh. uh, in Athens, Georgia, and um, it was. I think it was a good introduction to fame and to the idea of what you what one can do through mm-hmm. different mediums. And in, 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 in that case, you know, he was more of a performance artist. And remains more of a performance artist, but mm-hmm. he was able to use music as kind of a um, a way to get people interested in what he was doing. How was it being a nonconformist in Athens, Georgia, growing up and being outside of the box? Well, I mean, Athens was easy outside the box. I, I never thought of myself as that way, and I also never thought of my father as a particularly eccentric person. But he was really eccentric. Really? As it turned, looking back, I'm like, holy shit, he was really odd. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but it seems like he had kind of a conventional career, though. Uh, being in the, in the military, the I mean, I can't imagine. Well, well maybe not. Yeah, but I mean, to he, me. he flew reconnaissance. He was a helicopter pilot, so uh-huh. he he saw things that none of us in this room would ever want to see. Mm-hmm. Wow! Uh, and and he he survived that. Uh, in his words, late in life, he 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 said that it was because of the family, it was because of us, mm-hmm. that he didn't find himself homeless on the street and wow. and. and uh, a drug addict or an alcoholic or something. He saw terrible things, but but my father started as a um, as a violinist. He was a, as, oh, really? a, as a young boy. He picked up the violin and loved it. And but I think he had a very uh, he had a he had a bad teacher mm-hmm. who criticized him terribly early on. And 
as he tells the story, he put the violin down and never picked it up again. Mm-hmm. So he had, but he did have this this kind of insanely beautiful, very eccentric take on the world and on life. And um, great friends of his near the end of his life s- suggested that he he had this kind of knowledge of like the, like the like this kind of cosmic humor. Like he got he was so. Um, what we would refer to as Zen or Buddhist, he was so evolved mm. in that regard mm-hmm. that he just could laugh at everything, and he mm. did. And <laughs> and I guess I inherited some mm-hmm. of that from yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't difficult then. You didn't feel pushed back to be. Uh, no. Well, being queer was you know that was hard in the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. Looking at things now, you know we're at the fiftieth anniversary of Stonewall. I realized, and I, I kind of always I saw it then, but but it's really easy to look back and acknowledge that. Following um, civil rights and then the women's liberation movement, gay rights was next, and it, and it was it was it was obvious that it was coming. It was completely stymied and, and thrown off by by several decades, uh, by the rise of of uh, um, well the under the, the understanding on the part of of, of right wing people in America mm-hmm. through uh, the rise of Reagan and mm-hmm. the, the uh, fundamentalist Christians uh, uh, as a, as a, as a force. Um, in the late 70s, but but we had Reagan, we had AIDS, mm-hmm. and, and and overseas we had the likes of Margaret Thatcher, right. and I think that threw LGBTQI stuff off by you know by decades. We're now now in the 21st century where everything is about six times faster than it seems like it was when I was growing up. Uh, everything is happening very very quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but it, no, it wasn't easy uh, being queer at all. But uh, nor identifying as queer. I couldn't even mm-hmm. say that because. Uh, I wasn't welcomed in in either of the binary worlds that mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. were there to not welcome me. <laughs> so yeah. so that's one of the things that I kind of pushed uh, from a very when I when I did start kind of publicly talk, publicly talking about mm-hmm. my sexuality. I didn't want to, but I felt that I needed to, and and uh, and then people didn't really like what I had to say because mm-hmm. I was I kind of fell between the lines. You yeah, know? you in many ways redefined what it was. To, to look at masculinity and what that meant. And we're having conversations about things that people are we're just starting to talk about as a culture. What is that like to be talking about something in the 90s? Now, all these years later, people are kind of finally catching up to this concept. I'm just happy for the kids that are, that are, that are finding themselves, whether it's through their gender expression or their, um, their identity that, mm-hmm. that, uh, or their sexuality, that, that, that it's a much bigger world. It's a much more open and easily accessed world. Uh, than it was when I was growing up, and, yeah. and the fear of, of 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 speaking publicly about about what you like and what you want and what you desire, and how you want to move forward through your life is not something that that is completely present. Now, you know, worldwide, there are, are there are of course places where um, we're not quite as evolved, right, um, uh, culturally or, or socially as we are mm-hmm. here, but but it'll come, I think. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, grow, you know, yeah, no, I as a front as a front man for a for a, for. A, a, a rock band that became mm-hmm. a pop band, I guess. And Andy Warhol was the first person to call me a pop star, and I told him he was wrong. And as it turns out, he was, <laughs> actually, totally right. He was actually right. Yeah, um, uh, I was just being myself, and that would that mm-hmm. again, you know, I, I guess I, with my father as the template, that was the that was easy for me to do. Um, I, I, I think mixing the allowing for vulnerability to mm-hmm. be. Uh, something that is, in fact, an, an immense power mm. was something that pushed me forward, n- not only n- not only uh, in terms of, of our um, uh, uh, our popularity and people's attraction to us, um, but but it, it gave me the strength to acknowledge that vulnerability can be can 
can contain and 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 present as immense power, hugely mm-hmm. powerful, and, and that's something that men don't yeah. don't you know. My father's generation didn't, weren't didn't have access. You know, to it's that. been trained out of us from from infancy. Right. Was the vulnerability intentional to put it out there into the world, or was it just happened? It was it was a re- it was a reflection of who I was and who mm-hmm. I am, really. Um, and you know, there's always intention. I mean, I, there was a point where I thought it was that being willfully obscure as a as a public figure and as a singer as a frontman for a band was something that was really cool. And as it turns out, it's kind of not that cool. Uh-huh. A little bit of mystery is a good thing, but mm-hmm. right. but it's uh, and and the times actually changed a great deal just in terms of. I mean, I remember the first. I hate to mention it. I don't like the magazine very much, but the first Rolling Stone um, cover story that um, where Axl Rose of all people talked about his feelings and it was, and it, and it was this new kind of like peeling back, showing your dirty. Holy shit, he's human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and he has immense, you know, uh, he has vulnerabilities as yeah, well. And yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't always, I don't at all, in fact, agree with many of the things that he represented or, or stood for, but. But gee whiz, he's got problems too, and he's, yeah. he's he's a regular person, and he has blind his blind spots as we all do. Yeah, um, and maybe he learned his way out of them. Well, it's and the world that we're in now is also a very different world from the world that you grew up in as as a, a public figure, because now everyone has this moment of fame or this aspiration for yeah. fame, and we have various platforms for it. Yeah, um, you know, I know one obviously social media is something that you've talked yeah. a lot about and and given up. Um, and gleefully, gleefully <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's I, like it's like having a second job, and it's course. like Jesus Christ, I'm busy enough. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't need this as well. So you dumped social media. How, I did. how was that being a public figure and then saying bye? I mean, I, I, I recognize that I'm kind of, in a way, I'm kind of throwing myself into the pits of hell in terms of people remembering that I'm here and mm-hmm. that I'm I'm still doing work. Mm-hmm. I hate the word still. I, I had my moment in the sun. It was a yeah. it was a fucking glorious one. Yeah. Uh, through the band. We had we had our we had our really big days. And and then and then you keep living and, and, and you keep doing things and people either acknowledge it or they don't. Well social media made it easier for me to remind people that I'm here and I'm I'm working on this or that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I feel so uh, violated mm-hmm. by the the way that that um, that these platforms uh, kind of insinuate themselves into our lives and right. on on every level, and I was thrilled to walk away from it. Really thrilled. What was the impetus? Was there one thing, or was it just like I don't privacy? Think- My the mm-hmm. other the other drum that I've been banging for decades is privacy, and mm-hmm. and we see now through digital technology and the advancement of of these kind of platforms that. That term doesn't even exist mm-hmm. in, in in the dictionary of people under the age of eighteen. No, there is no real opting out. No, and, you can't. And, and and yet there should be. Yeah, culturally, where do you think the end game is with our relationship with social social media? What is? It's going to be really embarrassing in about ten years. And I I, I have futurist friends who I refer to. Uh, uh, Douglas Copeland is one of them. He actually mm-hmm. has uh, worked on the next book with me um, because of the subject matter of the book. Uh, he was the perfect choice for that. But but. We're all going to look back and be a little bit embarrassed of, of who we were on social media platforms, but but then does embarrassment in in twenty thirty exist in the same way that it does now? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, there's the there's the real question. I mean, there's there, it's a double edged sword because there's also like the element of I mean, I believe in 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 social justice and spreading telling telling stories and trying to as best as we can share information and mm-hmm. social media becomes an incredible platform for doing that. Although 
Oh, no, I wonder. I wonder how. I mean, I think they are effective, but at the same time, a lot of it I think is is noise. It sort of goes in circles, and it's almost like I mean, I I think of email as being, and I hate email, mm-hmm. and but I think of email as often being, um, you know. Uh, let me push this off of my desk so it can go onto your desk right. so you can push it to a bunch of other people onto their right, desk. Right. And it's not really, now we all like are talking about the same thing, but are we actually, is there action? I don't know if anyone, yeah. do you remember slam books when you were in grammar no, school? Uh, no, I don't think so. The slam book was, was a, an, an, an empty uh, notebook where you would write the name of each person in your class uh-huh. at the top of a, of a page. Everybody got their own page. And then you would hand it around and you would write the nastiest, most fucked up oh, shit. about each person. <laughs> and then at the after it went all the way around the class, mm-hmm. you would look at it. That's the internet. That's basically right. what 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 these platforms have provided yeah. oh, us. Oh no, we all we all love to look at car crashes and to talk, and, you know, talk shit about other people. And I think, you know, on on to look at it optimistically, yes. My, my 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 great friend who I work with, um, David, is a Taylor Swift fan, and she released her big single yesterday. And it is, you know, I've always believed that for revolution to occur, for, for giant progressive things to happen, you have to have these people that are working from the inside out. You have to have these people that are throwing bricks through the windows from the outside in. Mm-hmm. And you have to have every every gradation in between. And that's that's what really pushes things forward in a progressive yeah. way. So kudos to Taylor Swift. But, but <clears throat> through social media and through her platforms, um, it turns out that all these uh, the, the song is largely about um, LGBTQIA rights and, mm-hmm. and um, where we are now versus where we were then and um, and the video brings in all these uh, queer people from the West Coast who, who had an <laughs> afternoon off and they, they all and they're all tan and they look great but Taylor Swift's favorite number is 13 and so all these all these uh, organizations that um, that support LGBTQIA rights suddenly yesterday started getting $13 um, donations from her fans. And apparently it's through the roof. And so this is a good thing. This is, here's here's an example Mm -hmm. of how something kind of, kind of fruity and mainstream and, Mm -hmm. and whatever can turn to action and turn into actual action and, and, and really change the way we think about and look at these things. So how do we find that balance culturally? I mean, the double edged sword of social media, do you think there is a balance? Are we good at balance culturally? No, we're terrible at it. We're uh, the the last substantive conversation I had with Bill Clinton of all people. Uh, he was talking about America and how uh, America is a place where there will be great expansion mm-hmm. followed by great contraction. Mm-hmm. We're we're in a time of of, of incredible transition right now, and mm-hmm. so social media is just a part of that, and it's a significant part of it. It clearly uh, it clearly had a part to do with the last presidential election mm-hmm. uh, through Facebook and through Cambridge Twitter. Analytica and through Twitter, mm-hmm. yeah. which, by the way. I'm not the first person to say this, but imagine what our world would be today. What is it? Uh, June 18th, 2019. Uh, Had someone two years back at Twitter said, this person is violating our rules of hate speech. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, Donald J. Trump, is that his name? I think so, yeah. You're the fuck off. You're you're, you're no longer on our... What world would we be living in now? Exactly. Had one person or one board of directors at Twitter decided that two years ago. And let's just give a pause right now for one second to imagine the world that we'd be living in had Donald J. Trump not had Twitter mm. as the platform that it has become for him as the the person who's sitting in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, we're in a very we're in a very fucked up time. Yeah. We all know that. I mean, that's 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 overseeing the obvious, shooting fish in a barrel uh, to to even mention that. But as an example, but 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 it, within that transition, I think we can find great promise for. A, a way forward, a progressive way forward, yeah. uh, and that that's across you know that's across all kinds of things. That's culturally, emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, spiritually, 
um, uh, in terms of health stuff. You guys are both really yeah. super involved in health stuff, and so am I. So. Yeah, I mean, this. I, I mean, going back to what I, how I, we started this conversation, the idea of transformation, mm -hmm. rather than we are in a, a we're in a state of flux right now, and part of me philosophically almost wonders that we we may have to, and this sort of like Marxist in a way, but we have to, we may have to actually get to utter destruction before we can really re, be reborn and find out, you know, our true moral compass, our north, and I think from a health perspective. Or or sobriety or however you want to look mm -hmm. at it, like the the idea of hitting your rock bottom, and I it, this the nation in a lot of ways has been kind of like bouncing off of this rock bottom for a long time. You know, we we've come out of this is a this is a. I mean, if you a, believe in karma, then we have a lot to pay for. We, so. we do, yeah. We're we're built on genocide. It's a nation that's built on genocide. Exactly. It's built on chattel slavery. It's built yep. on tearing apart um, the nuclear family of 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 millions and millions of people, yep. and that's the legacy that we've created. I'm worried about us as a species, but I'm also really yeah. worried about the other species. That we're yeah, coexisting on this earth with exactly, we're consuming. And, you know, where, 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 how, how far do we have to push to, mm -hmm. to that brink, to the mm -hmm. edge of of complete annihilation? Yeah. yeah, before we pull back and and say, all right, enough is enough. Yeah, mm -hmm. I is, think we're at it though. I mean, I, I've got friends who are super very interested in astrology or Vedic astrology mm -hmm. or more woo-woo things and I'm not afraid of the woo-woo at all mm -hmm. so take that goop <laughs> we, amen we got it. to that <laughs> we're, we're down with woo-woo I mean I, I approach it from a some, somewhat scientific mm -hmm. place until until it becomes um, I wrote a song let's see the, the kids have a new take a new take on faith pick up the pieces and get carried away so that's I'm, mm -hmm. I'm quoting myself which is hugely embarrassing the kids have a new take on faith pick up, pick the, up pieces the pieces and get carried, get away. carried so away so it's, it's about each of us creating for ourselves going to Whatever, whatever has been there historically, and picking the parts of it that you like or that you feel like you need, and putting it together to create um, the Church of Seamus or the Church of Will or the Church of Michael, and then we find out how much those churches overlap with each mm -hmm. other through conversation, through social media, right. if if it need be, through um, through through talking about these kind of things. All right, so I've got friends who are really interested in astrology, Vedic astrology, and what have you, and I'm old enough to remember um, Godspell mm -hmm. and. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, mm -hmm. when, when yeah, musicals yeah. were musicals. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, The Age of Aquarius, this beautiful mm -hmm. song. Well, so these friends are saying, all right, basically what we're looking at right now is the, the actual age of, of, of Aquarius. It's, it's the beginning of something, which is the end of something. That end mm -hmm. of something is also the end of the alpha male, mm. which is best personified in pe people like our, our dear mm -hmm. 45, right. uh, Donald Trump. Uh, who I once actually asked, I, I shushed him once at a mm -hmm. show here in New York City. <laughs> uh, it was a benefit. Uh, my friend Patty Smith was mm -hmm. on stage. I was sat in the 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 you know the, the slush. Um, I was sat with my friend uh, in uh, the slush booth at Joe's Pub, and she she's Irish. She remembers every detail, and she reminded me recently of of uh, us sitting in this booth and this guy came in and he had this woman with him and he was clearly trying to impress her and trying to get into her pants and whatever. And so he was just yapping and yapping and yapping. And there was a performer on stage who was performing, doing a few songs. They, they walked off, Patty came on and he kept talking and he talked through the first song and at the beginning of the second song, it was clear he wasn't gonna stop talking to this girl to try to impress her. And I leaned across my friend and I said, that's my friend on stage, can you please stop talking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And Shanti reminded me recently that the person who got up and then walked out because he was offended by my telling him to shut up was Donald fucking uh, Trump. There you go. <laughs> but it says a lot about who he is and what, yeah, you know, of course. I mean, it's Patty Smith. Come on. We're going to take a quick break. 
So as you guys know, I'm a chef and I'm always in the kitchen. It's it's my job to be in the kitchen. But I also really love just to be in the kitchen. Sometimes it's easier though for me to grab something on the go. I don't have time to make myself lunch and I you know, I pretty much have this habit of eating what I call the big ass salad every day. So I appreciate there are now more and more places that cater to this like Sweet Green, one of my favorite spots. Sweet Green is redefining fast food. Every day across 95 restaurants, over 4,000 team members at Sweet Green make seasonal salads and bowls from scratch. They use sustainably sourced ingredients. They rotate them based on what's in season and what's fresh, which is the best part. The other thing I love about Sweet Green is that it feels like there's one on every corner in New York and Los Angeles, which are two cities where I happen to spend a lot of time. If you haven't been into a sweet green lately, they're currently serving from their early summer menu. That includes the elote bowl, which means corn for all of you that don't speak Spanish out there, which is especially great if you're a vegetarian. It's got roasted corn, peppers, local goat cheese, and organic arugula. I also love the spring chicken option with shredded kale. To try out Sweet Green's new menu, visit sweetgreen.com and find the closest Sweet Green to you. And if you're ordering online, download the Sweet Green app, which makes it even easier and comes to you with some great perks. And I am a huge fan of the Sweet Green app because you can go into Sweet Green and you can pay in an instant and your food is ready and you don't have to wait. So this age of Aquarius, can we talk about this? Yeah, thing? well, it's the end of the alpha male, but yeah. the alpha male doesn't go easily. So he doesn't want to let go. Mm. I, I mean, I love, like, I'm, I, I brought copies of my, my, my book that came out last year for you guys uh-huh. and Damiani. I brought copies for you. It's kind of queer, but I know enough about both of you that you're cool enough to be, we can like, handle it. Heck yeah. Yeah. you're straight guys that can handle that. Yeah, like, it's right. okay. Totally. Uh, and and that, that's, that for me, that's, that's a kind of maleness. That's the representation of masculinity that I think we all need to acknowledge and look at and, 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 and accept in ourselves or question about ourselves while moving forward in, or, in order to move into the age of Aquarius, if we want to call it that, in order to move into this next epoch, which, which is upon us, and, and it's not altogether a pretty one. Um, we have to embrace the idea that masculinity isn't necessarily confined to men or to people that were born with a penis. And femininity is not confined to women or people that were born with a vagina. And so we need to, we need to, we need to suss out within ourselves that we, we all, uh, as to, to, to misquote Walt Whitman, we all contain uh, multitudes. Yeah. And we have to get comfortable with it. We have to be okay with it. Because yeah. I think what ends up happening in this, like the archetype of the alpha male is that the alpha male senses that sense of, of femininity within himself mm-hmm. and then tries to berate it and beat it down and 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 the patriarchy comes rises up to to overcome and overcompensate and that's where you end up with you know these people that that become megalomaniac power hungry freaks that all they're trying to do is demonstrate that they do not represent any of this so-called weakness that this you know femininity which they perceive as weakness yeah it's fear and weakness yeah mm-hmm. and and it's base and it's and it, we all contain that we all have that within us so Part of our journey through life, hopefully, is to uh, is to confront it or have it have it have to face it in some way, and then uh, emerge out of that confrontation mm-hmm. a stronger or better person or a more forgiving, a more loving, mm-hmm. a more um, understanding. Like I don't I don't need to know everything about a person that I see on the subway. I don't want to. I don't need to know everything about who they are mm-hmm. in order to to acknowledge that whatever path they've been on might not have been as easy as mine. No. Or it might have been a lot harder than mine. You texted and me something on the way here. You said the subway is an opera. It certainly is. I love <laughs> it. It's so beautiful. I mean, I love it that I'm not, you know, I have friends uh, who can't take the subway and they, mm-hmm. they can't be in the world as I can be in the yeah. world. I, I, I kind of found the perfect um, the perfect p- part of being a public figure where uh-huh. I do get to be in the world and I get to move through it. And as an artist, that's that's where I pull inspiration from and that's that's where 
the you know keeping keeping my finger on the pulse of what I think is important and what emerges consciously or unconsciously into my work. Well, you, the, 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 the one thing I notice is that you can't really hide behind your Walt Whitman beard anymore because you got rid of that because that beard, was that was a really good foil. Yeah, that's I think. the last time we saw each other. Right? Yeah. Well, that that there's a story there that's that's actually germane to what we're talking about uh-huh. here, which is my father died and I grew a beard and gained thirty pounds and I knew I was putting on weight. Of course, um, the beard the beard was a conscious thought. The putting on thirty pounds wasn't. But it was when I realized that I had been through, I had come through uh, my grieving, and it took two and a half years, that I was like, okay, it's time for the beard to come off. Mm-hmm. And, and then, as a man in my late 50s, I had to figure out, I had to face, like, what if I don't have a jaw anymore? <laughs> and as it turns out, I still have a jaw. Yeah, it's still there. <laughs> but losing the 30 pounds helped. Right. Uh, helped. Um, so the beard wasn't holding your face together. Well, I just was afraid after two and a half years what I, what I was going to look like. And as a public figure, I've been a public figure since I was, what, 22. Yeah. So, you know, my take on vanity is, is maybe a little um, more accentuated than some, other, mm-hmm. some, some others, some other people's. But, um, but yeah, so uh, I just had to kind of, I had to cloak myself in, in, uh, and protect myself from the world and, mm-hmm. and, and from my, from, I had to grieve my father's death. And, mm-hmm. and Sorry. I did that. It took two and a half years. I got through it. The beard came off. I still have a jaw. That's great. Mm-hmm. I lost a ton of weight, and 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 I have you to thank a bit for that, Seamus, because it was through. Um, I, it was a, actually a fear of lectins. Mm-hmm. I stopped eating all um, uh, all um, pulses and, and night grains and nightshades, and uh, and of course went into instant panic attack because my body doesn't know what to do with mm-hmm. the rest of what I was doing uh, without without that kind of foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now at a point where having lost the thirty pounds, I'm back. Uh, at not fighting weight. My fighting weight was 143 my whole life, from 18 to 48 when mm-hmm. I quit smoking and when I hit 50, basically. Uh, I was 143 pounds. And then when I was on tour with the band, my adrenaline, uh, my adrenals would be tapped out from mm-hmm. performing, you know, two hours a night uh, and doing that for a year and a half at a time. And so I would drop down to 130, mm-hmm. 131, which is skeletal. I look like a Tim Burton character. Really. Mm-hmm. So, what does your relationship with food look like now? I mean, it, I'm assuming that there was there was an emotional component when you were going through that the, the grieving. Yeah, and you know, I, I had someone said to me, I, I lost a dear friend um, last year, and it was it's still you know it's a, it's weird how it hits me out of the blue sometimes. Um, and a good friend of mine said to me, "Grief is not linear," and it's one of the most oh. profound things I've ever really heard about yeah. about the idea of struggling with loss. And you do have you have these moments of ups and downs, and we all I think look to different forms of of band aids and crutches and therapy to try to get us through it. And food becomes a really, for a lot of people, food becomes a, an, an easy place to go. There's comfort, there's nostalgia. It it becomes a sort of emotional crutch, and I think it's very easy to fall into a pattern of of, uh, of a negative relationship with with food because yeah. of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a point where I looked at my body and I was like, this is not the body that... And I have a vanity, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we, all, we vanity, all do, but, yeah. but being a public figure, having people remember right. me as a 25-year-old, as a 30-year-old, uh, it's it's really hard for me to... Um, I, I mean, I'm not... Yeah, so I'm vain. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. You probably think I the like song's being thin. about you. I, I, I like being thin, and, yeah. I, and I, that is my natural state. And so yeah. um, there's a point where I was just like, this is not... I'm not comfortable in mm-hmm. this... Uh, Meat in, suit. In this, yeah, a, a, at all. And... So yeah, I'm, my relationship with food is interesting. Uh, I'm now what I refer to as a vegan default, which is that I'm pretty much a plant-based uh, until I see a fish or, or from time to time a piece of meat that is interesting to me, mm-hmm. and I'll eat it. Or if I feel like I need it, often after dental surgery mm-hmm. or 
um, or uh, any kind of, uh, if I have to do a round of antibiotics for mm-hmm. something, uh, after I take any kind of medication, I really want protein. Mm. And in that case, I can often just go to oysters. I love raw mm-hmm. oysters. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I'm vegan um, most of the time. I, 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 I cook all lunches. Uh, I uh, we we do all lunches at home mm-hmm. or or at the studio, um, and that's that's always vegan. There might be some anchovies in there. Um, right I went completely off of all grains and all uh, beans and and, and pulses. pulses yeah. But I had to stop that because, mm-hmm. and I think it's my ethnic background or being European or maybe my my Cherokee. I don't know what part of me, but I was having full on panic attacks on mm-hmm. a daily basis. Uh-huh. So I worked back into about twenty five percent, thirty percent of my diet is pulses and grains. Mm-hmm. Do you think the panic attacks were just anxiety about not having su- sufficient food? Or? No, I think I need a bed of something uh-huh. there. Uh, and I don't eat a lot of uh, animal protein, so mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm allergic to chicken, yeah. mm-hmm. for instance. Oh, you so, got that weird allergy, yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of weird allergies, <laughs> uh, but I, I, there, there are what would what would be referred to in Western culture as healthy proteins that I that I can't eat because right. I'm allergic to them or I'm yeah, repul- yeah. repulsed by them. And so I have to find my way through. I eat a lot of little fishes. Uh-huh. The little to, fishes those are good me. ones. I'm yeah. going to get you a copy of my book, Ketotarian. It's yeah. mostly plant-based keto. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like you kind of eat that way anyway. Yeah. But keto a couple of years ago meant something completely well, different. Yeah, totally different. We're redefining yeah. it. And but. you're one of the people that kind of moved it away from a very meat-heavy thing. Yeah. I was yeah. like, yeah, I can eat bacon that, all day you, long. You That's and awesome. everyone else, yeah. Yeah, but no, it's not so good for the, no. for the, not for the good veins long-term. and the arteries. Yeah, no, I was vegetarian for 20 years from 20 from the age of 19 to 40 Mm -hmm. um i didn't eat meat at all and then i started eating fish when i had dental surgery and then and then i really fell off the wagon when i met my boyfriend Mm -hmm. i call (laughs) it it french i call it a (laughs) vegetarian yeah vegetarian is good yeah Yeah, i mean there's a lot of dirty vegetarianism and i think getting to redefining that to where it really is i know i met my friend's nine-year-old daughter Mm. or seven-year-old daughter she's um she's like dad i'm a vegetarian but I like hamburgers. Mm. But I'm a vegetarian, and I keep reminding him, like Teddy, you know, you actually have to eat vegetables to be a vegetarian. Right. You can't just right. eat sugar right. and candy. Right, right. <laughs> I barely eat sugar at all. Good for you. Um, I stopped eating all fried foods. I stopped caffeine. Mm-hmm. This is a decaf, um, oh, caffeine grumpy. Although in the car on my way here, <sighs> even decaf is a little too much for me. Really? Yeah. You feel it now? That's, I can feel it. Yeah. That's amazing mm-hmm. when you get to that point. But um, yeah, that was all a part of losing that thirty pounds. Mm-hmm. Once, once I got back to. Fighting weight. I'm now. I think I'm at 158, mm-hmm. so I'm a little heavy. But uh, but it's summertime, so I'll, I'll lose it quickly. Mm-hmm. Beyond the vanity, do you feel better? Oh, of course. Yeah, I I, I cut all my all my meds. Uh, I cut my the only the only medication I'm on is for blood pressure, and I cut that in half. Wow. I can't even take um, the lowest dose that they have. I have to split in half uh-huh. to take on a daily basis. But I also like, for instance, today. Uh, my breakfast before I came here, thanks again to you, Seamus, a recipe from your book. Um, I had a radicchio salad. Yeah. I put um, I put a, a simple uh, dressing of uh, anchovy, uh, lemon, uh, and lemon juice and uh, olive oil. That's mm-hmm. my, my go-to. And then I added uh, 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 lime zest. So whenever mm-hmm. I buy limes now, thanks to you, I always put a few aside and let mm-hmm. them dry. And then and zest then, them. Yeah. And I zest, I zest everything now. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Radicchio with lime zest is the fucking so best thing on earth. And and if you add a little bit of Parmesan or um, I'm better with sheep and goat cheese than mm-hmm. I'm with cow cheese. But if you add a little bit, of, just shave a little cheese on top of that. It's the best thing you've ever eaten. It's so good. So, and then mm-hmm. I, but I had natto. That's where I was going. Natto is a Japanese yeah. fermented mm-hmm. fermented. Yeah, yeah, fermented. A lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people are really grossed out by it. Yeah. It is a very particular. Yeah, I mean, it's food. a little sticky. But I eat and slimy, it when but... in New York. I eat it every morning. Uh-huh. It's a great source. Really, the only plant source of vitamin K two. That's right. Oh, that's right. Which yeah, is yeah. amazing for our immune system. Mm-hmm. Natto. You know, yeah. Natto. 
and it's also it also lowers your blood pressure yeah. immensely. So when I take it, I have to keep checking my blood pressure because with the medication I'm taking, it can go too low. Mm. But uh, but I'm on top of that stuff. Good, that's yeah, so great. It feels good. It's nice. So when you were a rock star, can mm-hmm. we talk about drugs and life on the mm-hmm. road sure. and like all of that shit? Because it's such you know it. I I even in in my own little world of not being a rock star, but writing a cookbook about healthy food, the mm-hmm. first one that I wrote was one of the un- most unhealthy things I did. I was so stressed out. I was so exhausted and overworking and I can't even imagine. And I'm like trying to work on my myself physically and trying to work on my mm-hmm. own health. You look great. My rela- Thank you. It's, you know, as every day is a work in progress. Um, and it, it, you know, it was such a struggle and I was doing something that an endeavor, an endeavor that was really about transformation and health and oh. being well. I can't imagine what it's like to be on the road as a musician. I mean, you, when you guys were touring, I'm sure you're on the road, you know, two thirds of the year. You're always on the road. Yeah. Most How tours you, were a year long. And, oh my and, God. And around the world. And, and you would go, you'd go back to Europe and America twice. So. It's just like so incredibly taxing. What, I mean, how, if you, well, one, if you were to do it all over again, what would you do differently if you had to oh, go through the same? I mean, besides everything, but like in terms of food. Like, I would have known, in terms of food, I mean, there was a point where I was macrobiotic on the road on a year and a half long tour. And I had, I was making my own meals on the back of the bus, which is absurd. It was mm-hmm. ridiculous. But it was the 80s and, you know, that, that, what food, else was not, do? Yeah. that food was not available. And for me, it was a, it was a, like a, a, a survival uh Technique, a survival tactic. I, at that point, I felt like I had to be microbiotic in order to to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Um, that ended, <laughs> and uh, and I continued, which is good. But um, yeah, I mean, no, I all the you know the the, the the thing that was easiest for me was discovering in the late '80s that um, body work uh, mm-hmm. could you know I was pushing myself so hard as a performer. My adrenals were completely taxed, which is the beginning of the endocrine system. Mm-hmm. That goes to the thyroid. My mom had her thyroids removed when she was when she was young. So I have that, even though I'm a male offspring. Mm-hmm. I believe that male offspring of people who have thyroid issues are also affected by it. I'm faster. I, I run faster like than hyperactive. Hyperactive. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm hyperactive. Yeah, because most um, of these thyroid issues are autoimmune, and there's a genetic component to yeah. that for sure. Well, there's and that part of that could come from Scotch Irish ethnic background. So mm-hmm. there, there's a propensity towards thyroid issues with the Scotch Irish, and that's my mother has that and, and English mm-hmm. uh, in her in her background. Uh, so that got passed on to me. But um, acupuncture. Whew. Acupuncture for, for adrenal for adrenal issues yeah. brought me around, and there was a point, you know, in the '90s on tour when I was taking a supplement, which is the crushed up adrenal glands of happy New Zealand cows. <laughs> I wasn't very I wasn't very happy as a vegetarian uh-huh. doing, that, doing that, but uh, my doctors and my my, ther- my therapists, the people that I worked with, convinced me that this was medication mm-hmm. and that I needed it, and so acupuncture, great. Um, in terms of drugs and alcohol, I love alcohol. I love drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was going through my 30-pound beard yeah. grief period, I was drinking too much. Uh-huh. It was really nice to pull back from that and get back to something that's really manageable, manageable and human mm-hmm. and, and, and humane. You know, I'm 59 mm-hmm. years old. I don't need to be drinking more than a glass or two of, of beer or wine a night. That's yeah. Anything more is too much. So that's nice. Uh, and that also helped bring the weight down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I quit doing drugs when I was 23. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I did everything... Of under the sun, with one exception, uh, uh, and then and then at the age of twenty three, I just said that's it, I'm done. Wow. So I smoked weed a few times since then. There's a few songs on the Fisher Spooner record that we mm-hmm. have to thank uh, weed for the, <laughs> the one. Um, Let's try it? this and see what happens. Uh, uh, it's a really good one. It has the line. Um, 
these drugs are bad. They make me sad. They're supposed to do the opposite. So it's about a, it's about a person who's on uh, anti-depression meds, uh-huh. and they find themselves in a blackout, and they've missed their flight to Los Angeles, and they're just trying to get back. Wow. So that's a song on the Fisher's uh-huh. Spoon. That came from weed. So I have weed to thank for that. But I'm not I'm not a good pothead at all. <laughs> um, I haven't vaped yet because I'm 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 a bit concerned about my lungs, and I, uh-huh. I, I'm not sure about. The, you know, propylene glycol is something that's been approved by the FDA as mm-hmm. generally regarded as safe or whatever the term is mm-hmm. for ingestion. Mm-hmm. So we can all um, suck and fuck our way through whatever mm-hmm. with uh, propylene glycol is, the, is in gl- glycerin, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's in a lot of um, uh, sex, sexual lubricants. Mm-hmm. So it's fine to ingest, but we don't know what happens when you when you inhale it. Yeah, uh-huh. And that's in a lot of the, the vapes. The vapes. Do yeah. you use uh, CBD oil? Like I don't. I'm a little afraid of it at this point. I'm having some issues with my throat, and so... Um, I'm seeing a few doctors about that. Uh, mm-hmm. My my allergies, my food allergies, uh, and my my uh, my uh, dust and, and and pollen allergies that I've had my whole life have gotten increasingly worse in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. And I think that I think that that's happening worldwide. Yeah. I think it's particularly happening in America. And um, no big surprise, I'm like the canary in the coal mine. So yeah, it's happening to me kind of intensely. But, well, your uh, your vocal cords have also taken a beating over the years. So there's they actually got better when I uh, when as I've gotten older. Uh-huh. And, uh, when I quit smoking, I was really worried about when I quit smoking cigarettes. I was worried about what my voice would do. Mm-hmm. And um, they are uh, to quote or to misquote um, my 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 vocal doctor, my uh, my ENT doctor, mm-hmm. who is a former. Um, uh, she worked as a. Um, doctor for boxers uh-huh. and she was also a dominatrix she wrote a book about it. she's amazing i love new york <laughs> she's amazing but their their pink is a 13 year old your ent is, is a S&M. amazing <laughs> incredible right? yeah was yeah. do you think it was your healthy like lifestyle as well that made them pink as a 13 year old um i also i i never took the only vocal lesson that i took i was in high school the guy kind of um uh, the guy kind of stuck his hand on my pants, and I thought it was inappropriate. <laughs> he was an, he was an you older. Think? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good, and so I, I never went for a second lesson. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't formally uh, formally um, uh, taught. He was showing me where my mm-hmm. uh, you know where I was diaphragm was, was or but yeah, yeah. it was a little too low. Yeah, for that. <laughs> and I, I said no, enough of that. I'm not interested. Uh-huh. Um, I, I taught myself how to sing, um, but as it turns out, I, I taught myself correctly. So. I didn't damage my throat the way other singers have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also not singing out of my range, which there are some singers, um, I'm not going to name names because they, they have their own path, but there are some singers who sang out of their range enough times that they really damaged their mm-hmm. their throats or maybe they they weren't born with as strong resilient, or yeah. resilient uh, vocal cords as I have. But my voice got better. And now it's really very super different than it was mm-hmm. with uh, with REM. It's... it's, it's um, I have more range. Uh, there's a, I have a blind spot in the middle of my range, so there are certain notes that I just can't sing. Um, but but it's 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 deep. It's lower and deeper, and it's it's higher and and stronger. Mm. It's what nice. a, what so what music what music projects do you have coming up that you're working on? I've been writing my own stuff and I'm composing uh-huh. it as well with a, a guy named Andy Andy Lemaster, um, who's an astonishing uh, singer songwriter in his own right and. Uh, he's from Athens, Georgia. We've known each other for 20 years. Um, our fathers share a death date, which is an, an interesting kind of brotherly thing to have. Yeah. But um, he's this beautiful, uh, incredible uh, singer-songwriter, uh, also engineer. Uh, he worked a lot with um, Connor Oberst and uh, the Saddle Creek people out of oh, okay. Omaha. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm composing for the first time. R.E.M. always provided me with music, and mm-hmm. I never had to 
I never wanted to write music. I just responded to what they gave me. I'm now responding to my own stuff, and, mm-hmm. and what's coming out of that is very, very different. Brilliant. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite thrilled with it. That's awesome. So, is it? Is, are you working on an album or scores? Or I don't even know what an album is now. I'm so that's true. I guess yeah, it's, albums, it's all changed. Albums are they don't really kind of exist anymore, except as an idea. And uh-huh. so, I'm trying to figure out how I want to um, emerge back into the world of presenting myself as a singer-songwriter, and. I love my voice, you know. I I, th- I think I should be there. So mm-hmm. I, I want to. I say that with all the love in my heart, because <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds really arrogant. No, to say, it sounds but, beautiful. I mean, it, you're I do, not the only one. Though. I do love my voice. I, I I was in my late forties before I realized that my voice was really that different mm-hmm. from other people's. I didn't know that it was that um, um, uh, that it stood out as much as it does. What, what did Bono say that you're a crooner? But you yeah, <laughs> but that's just him being jealous and weird. <laughs> he's, he's the crooner. Are you kidding? Uh, he's I the actually, opera guy. Like, I saw him after a show, and he was in my restaurant, and he oh, yeah. he couldn't talk. He was like, I blew my voice yeah, out. I couldn't yeah. talk. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's such incredible. an amazing, amazing. I, I took so I've taken so much from him. He's a yeah. great friend, you know. And um, I've I've we've 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 buoyed each other as as front men through some pretty difficult times and well, I, I really admire how much he's been there one for of the things I love about both of you guys is that you've taken your platform and really used it as a, as a platform for social justice because it's so easy not to do that I'll come to his defense in that regard as a public figure because he's, he's easy to knock he's easy to shoot fish in a barrel mm-hmm. he really does step out uh, and, and really pushes mm-hmm. pushes the line of what people accept from someone like him mm-hmm. as a public figure his his heart is in the right place he's yeah. really genuine about about the things that he stands for uh, and I love that about him. Uh, yeah, he's also a fucking great song. <laughs> yes, he is. Can we go back to addiction for a moment? You bet. You were famously friends with some beautiful people: Kurt mm-hmm. Cobain, River Phoenix. Yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty for all of us. But do you, go, looking back, would you have done anything different as their friend? And do you have any advice for people that have friends that are going through drug or alcohol abuse? You have to recognize, I think that that, and I, I won't say that I was always this person. But where I have arrived is that people for whom um, uh, any kind of addiction uh, issue is, is, is in their life, that's something that needs to be regarded as, as an illness and something that is, they're not in control of. Uh, the same applies to depression and the same applies to people for whom suicide is an option. You have to, you have to be very patient sometimes. You have to sometimes take yourself out of the picture. Um, you have to approach every situation with love and with an open heart and and just try to be there for them. You know? um, and that's not easy. That's a very difficult place to be sometimes. And it can it can push mental illness, um, people who are suicidal, people who have drug issues, and particularly if they have drug issues where they're coming to you and they're presenting themselves in, in ways that you don't approve of or that you don't want to be a part of. Uh, you, you have to be incredibly... One has to be incredibly patient and remember that this is an illness and that's something that is not in their control mm-hmm. most of the time the, the 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 addiction will always rise up and be a louder voice than their own voice so you have to remember what it is about that person that you love and try to hold on to that through the hardest times mm. um i think that's good advice i'm not yeah i i believe in dharma so i want to be careful how i give advice i'm, I'm not an expert on it but i i have seen a lot and it, it, it hasn't and it hasn't been easy yeah what are you eating there? What is that? Two eggs? No, this is, we were just uh, talking about this. These actually, are like turmeric eggs. Is we got turmeric fermented hard-boiled eggs. Okay. Can we break into those? Because I want to try a bite of them. Well, there's two of them. I'm allergic to eggs. You so guys not, okay. knock yourselves out. I also avoid vinegar. So uh, wouldn't be for you. But this has maple yeah. and peppercorn. This looks really good. Doesn't so. look good. That was awesome. Wow. I 
that conversation, we could have kept going and going and going talking to Michael Stipe because it just, each topic was such a, a enjoyment to be a part of. Yeah, he's and he's so generous with his energy and his time. I mean, we got to, even after we stopped rolling, we just kept talking and hanging out with him and an amazing guy. There were so many points mm-hmm. in that conversation that really resonated with me and that I think I'll take away for a long time. But one of the things that I um, I kept thinking about throughout the course of the conversation was this quote that kind of like everything that Michael was saying as he was talking about this idea of being in the age of Aquarius and and how we are at a real tipping point culturally and politically, socially, environmentally. Um, I kept thinking about this quote, an amazing quote from Pema Children, which is only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible be found in us mm. be found. And... I, you know, I just kept thinking about that. Like, maybe we do have to get to a place mm-hmm. where um, we've really seen the worst for things to get better. Yeah. Um, and it and and it was beautiful to see his optimism in that. Yeah. And I think that he has his finger on a on the pulse of culture. He had it ever since he was young, and through the eighties and nineties, and even today, he sees. I think the way that we are living as a culture largely is unsustainable and i think this conversation that we had is super important because it's not it does not happening enough in this way in a mainstream type podcast this may be talked about in sort of esoteric conversations but we're we need to be talking about this and asking questions and realizing like are we doing life in a way that's sustainable both on a social media politically personally on a health level we need to do something different to see something different yeah it was so cool to learn so much more about his personal life and and professional life and and his openness to talk about male fragility sexuality a changing archetype for for them for 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 the alpha male what it means to find femininity within the masculine and masculine within the feminine and uh, I, there was just there. There's a lot to take away from that. It was a great conversation. Um, really, really fortunate to have gotten to spend some time with Michael. Yeah. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it out with a question from you. And this question is, do either of you believe in celery juice? I'm going to answer and tell you right now, I do believe in celery juice. I have had it before. It exists. This is not the tooth fairy. Um, But I'm assuming this question is about the celery juice diet that has become another fad diet. And, you know, I I don't really know anything about it other than I know that a lot of people are talking about it. I do love celery juice, and I think that celery juice with a little bit of of, um, of lemon juice and even some olive oil makes an incredible vinaigrette. Um, and many years ago, when um, I had a very uh, progressive restaurant, we would do a celery juice um, gazpacho with oysters, and it was really, really delicious. But maybe you, Dr. Will, can tell us a little bit more about the celery juice diet, and do you believe in it? Yeah, so I, I, I <laughs> believing is a funny <laughs> word. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah it's not my faith for sure but <laughs> but but it, what they're 
probably referring to is Anthony Williams, which is the medical medium, and he writes books about different things. Who he's written on Goop before, and he's friend of uh, of a lot of our friends. And uh, I think that eating real food is a good thing, and celery juice provides nutrients, especially for people that are eating the standard American diet. Bringing celery juice in is is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I don't think it cures all the things that maybe people are saying it is, but. I have seen it make a dramatic change in people's digestion, and that's a good thing. It can increase uh, the acidity of the gut, which helps digestion and absorption. So these are uh, things that that most people could benefit from. I just don't think it's like the elixir. It's not the panacea. So do you think that it is, um, does it have more to do with the celery juice itself, or does it have to do with the fact that by making a commitment to doing something and using something like celery juice as the cornerstone of that is helping people make better decisions and taking other elements out of their diet of the standard American diet that could be more toxic to them. I think it's probably, I see two sides to it. I think there is a food medicine component to celery juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that the fiber is removed, I think it is more gentle on some people's digestion. And it can improve uh, people that have constipation. It can improve GI motility in that way. But at the same time, the intention I see that as well as that it just it's almost a catalyst for them to make positive changes in their life beyond celery juice. Can I add one really cool thing about celery just from the kitchen? If you cook with celery, you can reduce the amount of salt that you're adding to your food because it has natural sodium in it. So it's really something that if you are cooking like you're making a soup with celery in it, be wary of how much salt you put in there because uh, you, it may end up tasting really salty, but it's a great way of naturally reducing the amount of added salt to your food. I like that. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.